Do you know how you know you need to forgive someone? Do you know how you know that you need to forgive someone? It's actually a pretty simple answer. The answer is this. You feel it. You know you, know you need to forgive someone because you feel it. And what happens is when we are wronged, when we're sinned against, we have a sensation. We have an experience. It's called hurt. We are hurt when we are sinned against. And what immediately follows this sensation of hurt are the emotions of anger or sadness, and usually a mixture of both of them. And this means that our emotions, our anger, our our sadness are pointing to the fact that something's off, something's wrong spiritually. Dan Allender, a great Christian psychologist, calls emotions the cry of the soul. And he likens them to indicator lights on our dashboard that tells us that something is off, something is wrong, something's not running correctly, something is unresolved. And so when we're hurt, we have these feelings, anger, sadness. And these are right feelings. This is what we should feel. But what now is important is what we do with these feelings. And really, there's two options before us, forgiveness or unforgiveness. And so to forgive or not to forgive, that really is the question. And when we practice unforgiveness, those feelings, they remain, and they grow into things like bitterness and resentment. So there's a cost. And so what we're going to be talking about today is forgiveness, biblical forgiveness. And in many ways, forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. In fact, forgiveness is variously described as justification in places, salvation, even reconciliation at places. In fact, when Jesus instituted the the Last Supper, here's what he said in Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Or Paul, as he's preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 13, verse 38 says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. It is our greatest need. And it's one of the most powerful ways that you and I can live out the power of the gospel. And we are told repeatedly, emphatically, that we are to forgive one another. Let me just read one place. Colossians 3.13 says this to the church, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord forgave you, so you are to forgive. And so we need to ask the question, what is true biblical forgiveness? What is biblical forgiveness? Furthermore, Why is it so important? And lastly, how do we practice it? How do we go about forgiveness? And these are going to be what we're looking at today. If you're joining us uh, for the first time, uh, we are in the middle of a series called Becoming Whole, where we're looking at biblical transformation and what that looks like. And what we're going to see today is that you and I, we cannot become whole unless we both give and receive forgiveness. You and I cannot become whole unless you and I both give and receive forgiveness. It will either hinder us or help us. And so this is what's true. 
Forgiveness is our greatest need, and it's one of the most powerful deeds that we can perform for one another in the church. So we're going to look at this today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. You can go there in your Bibles. Uh, My name is Justin. Um, It's good to be with you today. I'm one of the pastors here. We are so glad you're joining us. Wherever we find you this morning, we are glad that you are with us, or if you're listening to this at some time later, we hope you find uh, you were blessed by this message. Let me just say one thing. Um, Next week, we are really excited, uh, because as of now, we are planning to gather again as the church on uh, October 25th. And so uh, we would love for you to join us if you can. Uh, we're going to be limited in numbers. We're going to be taking all our safety precautions that we can. But this is an exciting move for us to be able to, again, gather in person and worship the Lord together uh, in person. So we really look forward to that. We're going to continue our online services in, in the midst of that as well. So if you can't make it, um, you can still catch us online. Well, let me go ahead and pray for our time today, and we'll jump into the Scriptures. Father, I thank you for what you've done for us, that you have freed us, you have forgiven us, that guilt no longer remains for those who have believed in the work of Jesus. I pray today that you would grant us a heart of forgiveness, a willingness to move towards forgiveness of one another, and and that we might experience the magnitude of your forgiveness of us. God, we love you. We give you this time. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and move in our hearts. Make your word alive to us. Change us. We love you. Pray all this in your name, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Here's what we read. Then Peter approached him, that's Jesus, and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? as many as seven times. Now, if we just come to this verse, what we ought to do is ask, why is Peter asking this question? It's actually interesting. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I was uh, getting ready to to work on the sermon for that week, and I just happened to be in Matthew 18 in my uh, personal devotions, in my readings. And I came to this verse, and I read it, and uh, the whole section we'll cover today, and I just got fixated on it. And I spent the next couple hours sorting through what is biblical forgiveness. And so I'm excited to share it with you today, uh, what, I, what I learned and how important it is. And so we asked this question, why is Peter asking about forgiveness? And so to understand this, we need to step back, which is always good when you're reading the Bible, to step back and go, what is the context of this verse? What is happening around uh, Matthew 18, verse 21, that would lead to this question? And so... Uh, If you were to pick up a study Bible, you could read, as many commentators have noted, that the book of Matthew is really arranged around five major teaching discourses of Jesus. And in Matthew 18, we have the fourth of five teaching discourses. And so it begins in in Matthew 18, verse 1, and here's the question that sparks the teaching. The disciples ask, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They want to know, how can we get ahead? How can we be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, Jesus uh, teaches his disciples time and time again what greatness is. But here he begins, if you read through 18, which you ought to do this week, he begins by starting, you have to become like a child to even get into the kingdom of heaven, let alone greatness. And so he calls them to humility and to a dependence on God as father. And then he begins to step through the importance of 
uh, living as the church, living as those in the kingdom of God. And he starts to talk about anyone who causes these little ones to stumble. And if you cause yourself to stumble, he says drastic things like you should cut off your hand or gouge out your eye. And then he goes on for his love for, for, any, for these little ones who believe. And he tells this story of the shepherd who goes after the one sheep who strays and he brought him back and there's much rejoicing. And so Jesus cares very much for those who have strayed away. And then he comes to Matthew 18, verse 15, which is a, a, an important verse in this section. And here's what we read. Jesus teaches, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. So he's talking about sin now, sin between those who are in the kingdom of God, sin between those who are in the church. And the first thing we see is that if we are sinned against, we are called to go and tell our brother or sister of the offense. Now, many of us, we don't like to do that. We don't want to do that. We prefer a passive aggressive approach where we're just going to hold that against them and hope that they realize that they've done something to offend us. But biblically, we see as the church, we are called to go and tell our brother and sister if they've sinned against us. And then Jesus goes on to unpack what happens if that person does not respond. You bring in other people, you bring them before the elders, you bring them before the church. Ultimately, if there's no uh, confession, no repentance of what was clearly sin, then he's, he or her, him or her is being treated as an unbeliever. And then we come to Peter's questions. And this prompts Peter's question. He asks, okay, I understand what you're saying. Well, how many times should we forgive? As many as seven times. Now, in Jewish thought, it was considered sufficient to show a forgiving spirit if you forgave three times. So Peter thinks he's going well beyond that. He says, not just three times, seven times. Is that enough? But what Jesus says is startling, and it underscores the importance of forgiveness for those in the church. Here's what he says in verse 22. I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. In other words, the number of times we forgive our brother is beyond count. That's what 70 times seven means. It is beyond count. We shouldn't keep count of the number of times we forgive. This, this is how important it is that we practice forgiveness of one another. And what's at stake here in Matthew 18 really is the witness of the church, the power of the gospel at work in the church. Why is he talking about those who stumble? Because if we as a church, we can't practice forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation, does not that cause many to stumble, especially younger believers? When the church divides and is divisive and can't seem to, to reconcile, it doesn't witness to the power of the gospel. And so this is one of the reasons forgiveness is so important. So let's talk about this. What is biblical forgiveness? Let's see what Jesus has to say in Matthew 18, verses 23 to 27. He's about to tell a parable here to illustrate a point. He says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his, with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents, that's about 20 years' wages, was brought before him. And since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had to be sold to pay the debt. That's pretty drastic. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will repay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion. He released him 
and forgave him the loan. Now, Jesus is telling a parable here, which is to illustrate a point, and we'll get to that point. But what can we see from biblical forgiveness in this passage? There's a couple things we see. Number one, forgiveness is between two or more people. It is not some abstract idea. It is when one person sins against another person. And when that happens, we see here that forgiveness involves a debt, and in this case, a rather large debt. And so when we sin, a debt is incurred. And so forgiveness, we see here, is the release of that debt. And in this case, motivated by compassion, which is a, which is a motive for the goodness of the other person, compassion towards them. So then what is forgiveness? Let's just spend a moment on this word. In this, in this text, the word here is uh, aphime, which is one of the common words for forgiveness. In fact, these words, there's two main words for forgiveness. It shows up 75 times in the New Testament. Aphime or aphesis, which means to release from debt, to let go. And then charizomai, to deal graciously with, to bestow a favor unconditionally, or to graciously or freely give. So these two words capture the idea of forgiveness, which I'll just define as this. Forgiveness is to graciously release your offender from a debt owed. Forgiveness is to graciously release your offender from a debt owed. You say, well, why a debt? Well, here's the reason. Forgiveness is inextricably linked with justice. Forgiveness is linked to justice. Why justice? Because when someone is wronged, when someone is sinned against, this is an injustice. And therefore, the sin or injustice has created a debt. A debt has incurred, a spiritual debt. And so justice is the cry of the soul to right the wrong, to hold people accountable, and to ensure an equity of treatment. And it's a thoroughly biblical term. It is rooted in the very character of God, the God of justice. And because you and I bear God's image, we too have an innate, ingrained sense of justice in us. Let me prove it to you. You ever been cut off when you're driving down the road? What happens if you're like me? Anger. That was unjust. There was an injustice. He shouldn't have cut me off. Why wasn't he paying attention? Or look at, you know, if you have kids, you know what, kids, one of, the, one of the most favorite sayings, that's not fair. That's not fair. If one child gets this, the other child needs to get this. They have an innate, strong sense of justice, of fairness. And so you and I, by being image bearers of God, we care about and we cry out for justice. And justice demands a retribution, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, rooted in the Old Testament. And so what this means is when this debt is occurred, when we forgive someone, there is a cost. It costs us something. True forgiveness always is costly. It costs us something. In our parable, it costs the master uh, all that, that great sum of money. It cost him something. He absorbed the debt. And so when we forgive, it's going to cost us something. A few years ago, when I was in college, I borrowed a friend of mine's car, and unfortunately, when I was driving it, I put a nice little dent in the rear quarter panel. So that was a fun conversation to come back and, and tell him about that. Uh, but what he did, he was gracious to me, and he forgave the debt. He forgave the wrong that I did, but then he forgave uh, the material cost. He absorbed the debt of repairing that dent. 
And so I was forgiven. This is what happens when we forgive. There is an absorption that happens. And it's not just material, though it may be that. Ultimately, it's a spiritual one. And so there's a cost. But the reality is the cost of unforgiveness is actually greater. Let's see how Jesus finishes his parable here. Pick it up in verse 28. That servant who was just forgiven, that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. It's about a day's wage. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he was, he was not willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from his heart. That should scare us a little bit. What is Jesus saying here? Is the cost of our unforgiveness that that you're going to lose your salvation? That God's going to remove your forgiveness? That's not the point of Jesus's parable. The point is actually this. Only people who have been forgiven can truly forgive. Only people who have been forgiven can truly forgive. Your ability and willingness to forgive others is the evidence that you have experienced God's forgiveness in your life. And so if you're walking around unwilling, unable to forgive others of their sin against you, we need to examine our hearts and say, what is going on in me that I am not willing to forgive when I have been forgiven? And so we struggle to forgive. And so let's look at some of the reasons why we struggle to forgive one another. The first one is this. We misunderstand what forgiveness is and what it is not. So let me share a couple things with you that maybe you've heard. Forgiveness is not saying that what happened was okay. In fact, it's saying exactly the opposite. It's precisely because what happened was not okay that forgiveness needs to happen. And so in a way, by forgiving, you're honoring the fact that sin was done, that wrong was done. And so it's not saying that what happened was, uh, was okay. Secondly, it's not forgetting what happened. It's not just a forget, forgive and forget. It's actually remembering, it's actually honoring what happened and giving dignity to both the offender and the offended. It's telling the truth. This was wrong. You know, it's actually loving for you to go tell someone that what they did was wrong. This is what a good parent does. This is what our Father in heaven does. And so it's not forgetting. It's actually honoring what happened. The third thing is this. Forgiveness is not necessarily trusting that person again. You can forgive someone and still call the cops on them. Some sins require uh, um, consequences, restitution, discipline. So just because you forgive someone doesn't mean that you need to be back in relationship with them. If it's an unsafe uh, person, if it's an unsafe relationship, then you shouldn't. There's a call for wisdom here. 
Fourthly, forgiving is not waiting until you feel like it. Sometimes we feel like, I'll forgive when I feel like forgiving, but we may never get to feeling like forgiving. And so by faith, we take a step to what God calls us to, and we move towards forgiveness, and the feelings will come after. And the last one here, forgiveness is not contingent upon their repentance. You can forgive someone without them coming to you and telling you that what they did was wrong and asking for forgiveness. Now, why did I say that? Let me give you one verse. Mark eleven twenty five. Jesus teaches this. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Whenever you stand praying, if you realize that you have something against someone else, the call right then and there is to forgive them. It's not to wait for them to come and repent. It's not for them to confess what they did was wrong. Right then, we can forgive them. And so we should. Now, of course, if someone comes to repent, then we, we surely ought to forgive them, to be in a posture of forgiveness, a readiness to forgive. So these are some of the misconceptions about forgiveness. Now, here's another reason I think we struggle to practice forgiveness. We don't experience the power of our own forgiveness. We don't experience the power of our own forgiveness. And this is the point of Jesus' parable. If you've been forgiven so great a debt, how could we not move to forgive others a relatively minor offense? We don't experience the power of God's forgiveness because ultimately we don't feel the weight of our own sin against God. Let me try to illustrate this with you. Uh, Watch this clip. Our sin against God is akin to a mountain. It is massive. It's not something that we can overcome. But in comparison, when we sin against one another, it is more like uh, steps that we can take. They're smaller, relatively minor, uh, inconsequential, you could say. And so our sin against God is massive, but our sin against each other are literally steps we can take. It's something that you and I can do. We can't overcome a mountain, but we can overcome sin against one another. And so we need to feel the weight of our own sin. This mountain, this massive uh, uh, distance between ourselves and God. And so it's profitable for us to study the doctrines of sin because sin is deceptive. You know what sin's going to tell you? You're not a sinner. It's going to tell you that what you do isn't that bad. It's going to compare you to other people. It's all deception of sin. This is why it's so important for us to read our Bibles because as Hebrews 4.12 says, it's not so much that we read our Bibles, but that our Bibles read us and they will convict us of sin and lead us to life everlasting. When we experience God's forgiveness, when we have that experience, it causes us to be willing to to love others, to forgive others. Jesus tells this parable where where the woman comes in, he's he's, he's eating at the Pharisee's house, and and she gets down on the floor, and she's crying, and she's weeping, and she's washing uh, his his feet with her tears and her hair, and he forgives her, and the Pharisees are indignant. And Jesus is making a point. Here's what he says to them in Luke 7, 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That is why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. So when we recognize the depth and magnitude of the mountain of sin and that God has forgiven us, declared us innocent, removed the guilt, we too can love much and forgive much. 
The third reason I think that we struggle to forgive is we think we can do it on our own power. We, we think we can forgive on our own power, but we cannot. And here's the truth. Biblically, true forgiveness always goes through the cross. True forgiveness always goes through the cross. Let's spend a minute on this because I think it's really important. The first thing is this. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins because ultimately all sins are against him. Psalm 51. If you ever read Psalm 51, the great psalm of repentance. He says this in verse 1, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. There's our word again. Blot out my rebellion. Verse 4, against you and you alone have I sinned and done evil in your sight. God is the only true, sinless, and perfect being. He is our creator, and he is worthy of all of us. And so when we sin against him, and when we sin against his creation, ultimately, we're always sinning against him. And the magnitude is that of a mountain versus that of a step. And so only God can forgive sin. And Jesus actually demonstrates this in Mark chapter 2. He comes to the paralytic, and he's, uh, he's going to heal him. But here's what he says to them. He says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders there, they pick up on this, and they begin to give him a hard time. And they say this. Why does he speak like this in Mark chapter 2, verse 7? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They know what's going on. And Jesus' response is remarkable. Here's what he says in verse 10 to 12. But, but, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he got up and took his mat and went home. What is Jesus saying? He has the ability to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus is God. Only Jesus has the power to forgive sins. Now think about this for a moment. Don't you think that's strange that, that, that Jesus could come and forgive another man's sins? I mean, that would be like, let's say uh, you and your, your friend or your spouse or significant other, let's say they betrayed you in a deeply hurtful way. And you guys came to see me and I'm sitting with you. And before I heard anything, I said, hey, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. You would feel like, wait a second, you can't forgive his sins. They sinned against me. I need to forgive them their sins. But Jesus is saying no. I am God, and all sin is truly against God. And so I have the authority to forgive sin. Not only that, Jesus died for all sin. All the sin that you've committed and all the sin that has been committed against you. This means Jesus has the right to forgive sin, the ability to forgive sin, because he died for all sins. This means that you and I can forgive one another precisely because Sin has been forgiven at the cross. You and I can forgive because forgiveness is offered at the cross. And so this means when you forgive someone, you do absorb the debt. You absorb the hurt. You swallow that pain. But biblically, ultimately, it doesn't reside in you, but rather passes through you and is absorbed on Jesus on that cross. Why? Because all sin was paid for on the cross. This is why we can forgive one another, because sin has been paid for, because justice will remain. Nobody will get away with anything, and so this frees us 
It's when we realize that God is a God of justice, and at the cross, he pours out his mercy. And because of that, you and I can be merciful and forgive one another. True biblical forgiveness always goes through the cross. This is how we can forgive as God forgave us. Galatians 2.20, I'm going to switch the wording here, but listen to this. It is not I who forgive, but Christ who forgives in me. Mm, That's powerful. And this leads me to the last struggle I think we have with forgiveness. Forgiveness is not ultimately for you, but it's for them. It is for your offender. There's this idea going around that the ultimate aim of forgiveness is for your own emotional and spiritual and mental health. In fact, Dr. Phil says this on on the Oprah website. Forgiveness, he says, is a choice you make to release yourself from anger, hatred, and resentment. And in this line of thinking, forgiveness is about yourself, but biblically, that's not true. Now, when we forgive, will we experience release from anger and resentment and hurt? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is an added benefit. It is a direct consequence of our ability to forgive one another, but it's not the main reason. The main reason we forgive, and this will be hard, is for the sake of our offender. The heart of forgiveness longs that the one who has sinned against us would experience repentance, restoration with God, and would become the person that God has intended them to be. This is a heart of compassion. It is for the other person. And this is perhaps the most difficult thing to grapple with in biblical forgiveness, but it's all over the ministry of Jesus. Jesus came and died not for his own sake, but for the sake of sinners, for the sake of his enemies. This is loving your enemy, practically, forgiveness. And it's tough. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it's what we're called to. And God gives us the power to do it. Let me illustrate this with a powerful story from Dan Allender's book, Bold Love. Here's what he says. Dan Allender, again, Christian psychologist, a lot lot of good stuff he's written. Here's what he said. I counseled a woman who had been barbarously and ritualistically abused by her father and mother. After many months of work, she began to explore her feelings toward her father. At one point, she asserted that she would and could never forgive her father for his evil cruelty. I asked her this question. What would you do if God gave you the choice between pushing a button on your left, which when touched would utterly destroy your father at this minute, or a button on your right, which could lead to radical, deep repentance and the kind of change that would make him the father God intended him to be? Think about that. On the one hand, you can destroy him. On the other hand, he could be restored into the man that God called him to be. He goes on, she sat stunned for a long time. Her shock turned to silent, teary rage. She glared at me for almost 20 minutes. And after what felt like an eternity, she said, you have put me in a terrible bind. I agreed. Her next words were startling. She said, if I push the button on the left, then I am saying that I am as evil as he is. But if I push the button on the right, then I am admitting I really want him to be my father. And I am far more afraid of allowing my heart to feel desire and longing than I am of being evil. She has spent most of her life killing the desire for her dad to be a true father. 
The idea of pushing the button on the right with its implications was far more terrifying than pushing the button on the left. Wow. This is the goodness that God calls us to, the restoration of another. We have all kinds of reasons why we fight against that. But man, that really hits it for me. And so this is important. Forgiveness is so important. And some of you have very hard stories. Some of you have endured great difficulty. And here's what I want you to hear. More than you need to hear to forgive your offenders, what you need first is be covered by the grace of God and cared for by his loving and healing presence. You need to know that Jesus grieves with you. He sits with you. And forgiveness will come. But it's a process we go through. We're going to talk about that at length in a few weeks. And so forgiveness then is a part of what it means to become whole. We cannot become whole unless we both give and receive forgiveness. And in the end, here's what forgiveness is. It's letting God be God. Forgiveness is letting God be God. Romans 12, 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what you do to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave it, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will heap fiery coals on his head. And then verse 21, listen to this. Do not be conquered by evil but conquer evil with good. That is the power of forgiveness. And this is the path to wholeness. So let's end where we started. How do you know you need to forgive? What is your heart telling you? Is there anger, resentment, unresolved things in your life? What does that look like? making cutting remarks and dragging out past injuries, repeatedly staying actively hostile towards a person. Or maybe it's, it's being far more demanding or controlling with the person than you are with others because you feel deep down that they still owe you. Maybe it's avoiding them or being cold to them. Maybe you vilify or demonize them in your imagination. Listen, these things should not be in the church. These are the ways of the world. Because of the cross, you and I can practice true forgiveness. It is our greatest need and one of the greatest deeds we can do for one another. Let me go ahead and pray for us and pray that you and I would realize what forgiveness is. And as we step through this in the next couple weeks, that we would be willing to go through the process and experience wholeness. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that you died for sin well, that you sent Jesus to die for our sin. We thank you that you have forgiven us. You have freed us. There is no guilt anymore. I pray for those who have hard stories, who need to practice forgiveness, that you would meet them where they're at, in their pain, in their fear, and you would encourage them. You would empower them. You would show them the great love with which you have loved them in their forgiveness. God, this is a supernatural work, and we cannot do it without you. Pray now for the church, for One Hope Church, that we would be a people that practice forgiveness and show a watching world what true biblical community looks like. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in your name.